This is Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. Always in any job, make sure that, you know, you are courteous, that you are hardworking, and that you don't make anybody mad because you never know where you're going to be or where that person's going to be. And if you make a good impression, you know, you might get hired somewhere wherever they go someday. And that's pretty much what happened to me. That's Liz Merrill, senior writer for ESPN. Just the variety and that you don't know what you might be working on in a few weeks and that, you know, sort of the, the whole sports, the world is a canvas, right? You can do whatever your bosses find interesting or whatever you pitch. Liz is with us for the entire episode. Volleyball day, chief Saholic, a cloistered nun, and a whole lot more coming up next. Liz Merrill, now 15 years at ESPN, a little over 15 years at ESPN. And uh, you can find her work at ESPN.com and a little bit on the ESPN Daily every once in a while. And I suppose every other place that Disney shows its sports stuff. So, Liz, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. So 15 years seems like a long time to be doing um, um, the same thing, but I'm I'm pretty darn sure that you haven't actually done the same thing for over those 15 years, have you? Yeah, that's the great thing. I, I, I don't do that. I, it's rare where you feel like you're doing the exact same thing. I mean, I covered a beat uh, in Omaha and also for the Kansas City Star and, and you know, uh, boy, uh, the people who can be consistently do that. It is, I think everything we do is hard work, but you know, especially beat writer, baseball beat writers. I've never been a baseball beat writer, but God, the grind that they sort of power through, you know, going hours and hours before a game. Uh, I mean, they put in like 12, 15 hour days for 162 days and then the stuff in between. It's hard. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really hardly ever the same. You know, I'll, I'm kind of lucky in that they let me sort of, cover a lot of different sports. I mean, NFL and football was kind of where I was my background when I came to ESPN, but man, I've been able to do a lot of cool things. I got to do an Iditarod story in Alaska last year, which was pretty fun and didn't know that like not every road is paved and they don't have like paved roads all the way through. They go around in snowmobiles and um, sometimes they don't even treat the roads and you're driving on three inches of ice. So, yeah, just a lot. Of, I got I, you know, one of my first years there, I got to go to uh, Beijing for the Olympics. Um, so it's and kind of get to do doing some college basketball stuff out in the East Coast this week, hopefully. Uh, I say hopefully because you never know what you're going to be able to but yeah, I, I, either way. Yeah. So um, it, it's been a lot of fun and just working with a lot of great people and great editors and bosses and, and fellow writers. It's awesome. So you were at the Omaha World Herald. You're a Nebraska native, went to school at the uh, University of Nebraska at Omaha. And, and you worked at the World Herald, worked in Kansas City covering the Chiefs. What was it originally that attracted you to? What was the magnet to to ESPN? Well, you mean do you mean sports or ESPN? ES ESPN. You left Kansas City to go work for ESPN, yeah. right? So what was the attraction there? 
Well, I mean, I think everybody who does what we do probably would love to, I mean, you always think, wow, what, what would be the next step? I think in any job you think, okay, I'm doing this now, but what would be cooler than that? And I don't know when I was young, it was sports illustrated, you know, when you're a kid and you're reading that, you're reading like uh, all those great writers, you're reading like Gary Smith. I mean, Gary Smith is one of the reasons I wanted to be a, a sports writer. He's just, obviously, uh, most people can't write like Gary Smith, including myself. But um, so I'd say that like, yeah, definitely. And the opportunity to just kind of write about different people and different events. And I like writing about human interest. I like writing human interest stories, but I also like doing some investigative stuff and they let us do all that. So, uh, you know, the other thing I should mention is um, uh, one of my editors at at the Omaha World Herald, when I was just getting started, I'll, I'll just tell the story real quick and I'll bore everybody. But um, when I, I started at the World Herald as like, it wasn't an intern because uh, the World Herald would never hire people from UNO because it was kind of like the poor man's uh, journal. I mean, we didn't really have a journalism department. It's like, it's House Center Communications. At least that's what the World Herald's view was. I'm not saying, and I love the World Herald. I'm not bashing it. it uh, but like, they never hired UNO uh, students for internships. So what you did was you like were a part timer in the sports department and you just got your hands dirty you did everything you would take these high school calls uh high school football night and you had to like put your you had to have your head on a swivel and you're like furiously typing away when somebody would call uh, in a score and then you have to do these things called follows and type them up in the computer and and so they'd get in the agate page i don't even know if they have an agate page anymore by the way um you know hardly anybody gets a newspaper anymore again i'm not ripping this isn't, I love the World Herald. It was like, uh, I have such fond memories of that place. But I'm just saying, anybody who you talk to from that time would say they didn't hire you enough people. Uh, and so, yeah, you you did that and you worked your way up. And that's what I kind of did. Well, so during that little uh, part-timer uh, job where you hand everybody the newspapers, we had faxes back then. Some people on here might not even know what that is. But like delivering faxes to like the the big time writers and stuff and just dreaming someday that maybe I could actually write a story. Well, here it is. It's like uh, it's Christmas Eve and I'm working this night uh, kind of gopher job and um, there's like a snowstorm and um, the cops reporter who at the time was Jen of Janovey, she needed help. I called a few people and I got to co-byline a page one story. And, you know, for the newspaper, if you're on the front page, it's like, ooh, that's a really big deal. So uh, we co-bylined it and I'd never dreamed of being able to write something for that paper. And it was just such a cool thing. And my mom had it laminated and hung it on the wall after that. So that was kind of cool. So you know, fast forward years later, Jenna was a a, a news writer. Um, she went to, I can't remember if she went to fancy Columbia grad school before or after that. I don't know. Uh, this isn't, this isn't about her. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm kidding. So um, I, I would say, I would say at some point she went to Charlotte, the Charlotte Observer, and I went to the Kansas City Star, and she got hired by ESPN in like 06. And I remember I was at just my second training camp. Chief's training camp back then was in River Falls, Wisconsin. They called it the Cheese League. Actually, that was after the Cheese League, but the Chiefs were still there because you know how brutal uh, summers are in Kansas City. So they would go there for, and it was 
you're in this town that's like an hour from Minneapolis. So she called and she said, get your resume together. We've got an opening. And I'm like, well, I'm doing two days. No, nah, I wasn't actually doing two days, but I was covering them in training camp. And back then you still did. You still went to Kinko's to like have a hard copy of your resume. So I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, just get it together. So I did. And I probably got hired like six months later. And um, here I am. And just so uh, for those two people who couldn't make that connection, Jenna is an editor at ESPN still. And you work yes. with Jenna regularly uh, on your stuff, right? Yeah, she's my main editor. Um, it's really weird how I guess that the the good lesson there is always in any job, make sure that, you know, you are courteous, that you are hardworking and that you don't make anybody mad because you never know where you're going to be or where that person's going to be. And if you make a good impression, you know, you might get hired somewhere wherever they go someday. And that's pretty much what happened to me. I mean, I would say uh her call if she hadn't called me i mean would i still be in kansas city uh, i don't know but i don't I, i'm not sure i would have the opportunity to work at espn and then you know you just kind of have to do your thing it's like you 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 can sh prove what you know show them what you can do and hopefully they like it and hopefully they'll keep you and so that's kind of every day i cross my feet so i'm doing all right and so far so good apparently they like you they've kept you for almost 16 years so there you uh, go Hopefully, uh, hopefully. You said why ESPN or why sports? So I'm going to circle back to that. Um, why sports? What attracted you about that? And what made you um, think that you wanted to be and could be a sports writer, reporter? Well, I didn't want to write about like city council meetings or like uh, water tax meetings or something like that. But I would have done it. I would have written about anything back then. I, I just, I really, the, I got bitten by the bug working at the college news, at my college newspaper, the UNO gateway. And it was, you know, I'm sure it was just like most student newspapers at the time where it's like, you're putting way more t time in a student newspaper and you probably are in your class, probably are in your classes. I'm sorry, but you, they, they probably don't do it that way anymore. I'm sure they pay way attention to your classes and stuff. But, um, uh, and so, but before that, uh, before that, my dad, so when we were kids, my dad would watch um, TBS all the time and the Braves were on. So we were forced to watch like 162 Braves games. I mean, I knew the starting roster for a few of those Braves teams in like the mid to late 80s just because we were forced to watch that stuff. And we played sports, although uh, not very well. And um so that was there. And then what happened was with, with the World Herald, uh, I had a friend who was working in the like the wedding announcement part, which was more of the hot seat hot seat. She had a great job. It was like she just wrote about like weddings and stuff. And I interviewed and I don't think they thought I was wedding announcement material. And I didn't get the job and I was crushed. And um, I had another friend who worked in sports who uh, worked with me at the new with I at the newspaper. Anyway, I'm not going to fix my worked with me at the newspaper. I've had some, an editor like just jokingly tease my grammar when I talk and I'm like, I don't write that way. I talk that, but anyway, sidebar. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it, the, the only job that was open, it was a part-time job in sports and nobody really wanted to do it because it was really hard to do. I mean, you were, you had to work the four o'clock to like one 30 in the morning shift 
it was something you really had to love to do but it was it was very uh rewarding so those are some of the best days you know when we started and the newspaper business was still kind of a robot a robust entity I, I had so much fun and that was like that time just basically shaped me and as far as my work ethic I mean I'd say the college newspaper did too but you know just what you want and when you want it, it's just like you just pour everything into it and I think that's uh so that's how and then it, so I just went from there for sports I actually though when I was getting out of college, uh, I had a job interview for the Fargo Forum um, to be their entertainment writer. Um, and they flew me up there. I had worked that till like four to one thirty shift the night before. And my flight was leaving at like, I had to be at the airport at like 5 a.m. or something like that. So I got like no sleep. And um, uh, it, it sounded like a really cool job. Um, but I kind of like, fell asleep in a car during a you know was they were shuttling me to like lunch somewhere and showing me all the water towers in Fargo uh I like temporarily fell asleep so I knew that was probably going to work against me but you know who they end up hiring anyway I probably wouldn't have gotten it anyway they hired Chuck Klosterman who went to Spin Magazine after that so yeah that was a pretty heavy I that, that was a heavy hitter I, I probably would have I used that as an excuse I probably wouldn't have got it anyway but okay I've got to um, ask you I ask yeah. you um, the first thing I think of entertainment is not Fargo, North Dakota. So well, as an entertainment writer for the Fargo Forum newspaper, right? I, okay, think of it this way. Yes, but think of it this way. Think it's it's like mid-90s um, newspaper, and they've got this writer. And this guy, you know, it sounded like kind of a cool job because, okay, it sounds like a cool job if you're just out of school and you're freaking out because you don't know what you're going to do with your life and you don't have a job, which was pretty much my state. Well, here's the other thing that I didn't mention. So right before I left on this job interview, they're like, oh, uh, we're going to offer you a job because they didn't want me to leave. So they offered me a job at the World Herald, a full time job. And so and it was for more money than what Fargo could pay me. So I think at that when I told them that they're like, yeah we can't do that. And obviously we all worked out for the best. Chuck is amazing. And he was obviously the better hire. Uh, but again, rejections, you get rejections, right? These are all good lessons. You get rejections, you know, you pivot. There's always the, you know, I, I talk to people about this, the one step you make and it points you in this direction. Right. And maybe if you hadn't made that step, where would you be right now? Uh, trajectories are sort of like, shaped that way and so anyway but yeah that was the backstory there so nights weekends and holidays are the three big words in sports and always have been and and honestly it's some of the things that chase people away from sports um when did you come to terms with that or maybe you haven't <laughs> like well, everybody you deal with it but that's where it is and the better you get in this business the more nights weekends and holidays you spend away right I would say that like sacrifices were definitely made in my personal life from that time from Omaha to Kansas city for sure. Are you good? Okay. Well, okay. I would say sacrifices were definitely made from that time, especially when I was covering the Nebraska football team. I mean, I started covering them when they were good before I started covering them and everybody says it was my fault basically. Um, but 
so that yes I, you make personal choices right i mean with relationships sometimes i don't know how people do it like you know obviously there are women in this business who are beat writers who have children and and you know are able to do it all but you're gonna have you're gonna have a spouse that's gonna be able to uh help out a lot to do that because otherwise it's super hard uh but yeah definitely but it's fun you know what i mean it's i never thought of it yeah there were times i wish i could have done other things but like i never thought of it as a sacrifice just because i love doing it so much um what i do now yeah there are some weekends involved but since i do a lot of like bigger picture feature takeout kind of stuff or else we do like a deep dive investigative story you know there's not as when you're not covering team there's not as much weekend stuff but i still yeah like fourth of july i had to leave to uh go and do a jared goff interview not had to i was really glad i was gonna get access with him because i had to be in california for him the next day so stuff like that yeah you just sort of have to drop what i used to run into too is if some news broke you might just have to leave like like that night you know like you stop everything and leave if if there's some breaking story and they want you to do kind of a a bigger like a news enterprise store uh piece so yeah there definitely has to be some flexibility there for sure some of the things that have have driven liz um women out of the business includes misogyny and uh kinds of treatment that women have had to deal with and i don't want to get personal but have you had to deal with this kinds of stuff and 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 how do you do it how do you deflect it um definitely earlier in my career for sure um absolutely earlier in my career but now not at all really i would say i'm i'm super lucky uh i think you know when i was starting like i said like you know in the mid nineties. Um, I mean, I remember covering uh, high school wrestling, state wrestling. Everybody got to go in the locker room and there's like this guy stops me. He says, you can't go in there. Uh, we all have to do a job, you know, um, stuff like that. Sure. I mean, coaches, you don't think you should be covering a football team. I mean, absolutely. There was a couple of instances like that because you're but things have gotten look i don't want to say oh things are great now because i i'm not in the same place as a lot of different people you know i'm not out there holding up a microphone every day in a clubhouse or i'm not doing that stuff so when i say i think things are better my experience might be completely different than others but i would say that yes there was but then i think you know what even during that time there were women before me who had to deal with way worse things you know mm. that kind of had to pave that way so yeah i'm sure it's still an issue uh but it's something that i you know i can't say that i experience with any great mm. frequency right now as long as I brought up women and sports, and I'm going to ask you about Volleyball Day in Nebraska in just a minute because you were on top of that as well. And um, is this a great time for um, women's sports? Um, is it a great time for women in sports? Absolutely. I mean, um, I can't think of a better recruiting tool that Nebraska just uh did for um any 
a high school athlete in any sport right now. If, if like I, that thing just like lit up the internet, it lit up social media. Um, and I, I don't know, you know what I think about, so I covered women's sports like around that time around not, you know, in the late nineties when I started out the world Herald covering like Iowa high school sports. So you know, it's the Nebraska paper that kind of shows you how low on the rung, the lower rung I was at, but it was still great. It was fun. I met a great, a lot of great people. Okay. So, but I just remember covering women's events, not volleyball, but I'm not going to say there's another sport that I covered where, you know, they had ticket giveaways. And sometimes you wonder how like those uh, attendance counts, you know, you're sort of looking around and thinking, you know, okay, was that really like 6,000 people? now it's completely different you know if you're but i would say also with nebraska if you win i don't care what the sport is you're gonna like draw a lot of people but with volleyball with what they did i, I didn't see i saw something last week about how it cost like 1.5 million did you see there was something like that that's what trev said um I, i'm sure they that's i don't think that was counting the ticket revenue but even if they had to shell out 1.5 million it was worth every penny for them because I don't think anyone's ever seen anything like that. A, a football stadium packed with people watching a volleyball team. Volleyball is a sport that I think is getting a lot more eyeballs now. It's getting a lot more TV exposure. I think that and softball are two sports that uh, that are doing really well and are attracting more and more interest. I mean, so my brother-in-law, um, he he watched he i sort of see him as one of these old school people he loves softball because it's like baseball on steroids right it's like you uh it's it's faster um the it's like if you have a good pitcher if you have a great pitcher you're you're halfway there and you know you can hit home runs I, I like it's a this obviously the dimensions are different because of you know different things but i'm just saying all of these sports uh, are doing so much better and there's such a demand for it. I mean, look at the numbers ESPN did for the final four mm -hmm. for the women's final four. It was crazy. And I, I just think it's going to continue. I know Trev gave me some quote when I talked to him about how he thinks there's a lot of untapped potential there um, as far as investing in their women's athletic programs. And that I think that in sports, that's your growth potential mm -hmm. right now. That's where you're going to see, you know, uh, so much more, uh, so, so many more newer fans, you know, the thing with basketball, you always, I always heard the same thing. It's like, I can't watch women's basketball because they can't dunk. And, you know, it's a sport in which, you know, like men are, you know, the superior athletes, but I think a lot of people have changed their tune on that, you know, because you mm -hmm. see these dynamic athletes and they might play a different, uh, they, they might play a different brand of basketball but it's it's still pretty exciting to watch i mean i remember when people didn't know how long the wnba would last and you know that was, was like 25 years ago my yeah. getting I should, stronger I don't too have now yeah, yeah. But I, I just say that was like a postcard for any female girl athlete in any state right now if a t if a play if somewhere the school is going to put that kind of commitment to something like that, I want to go there. But not only that, there's a lot of other coaches of other teams that are saying we should do that. Like yeah, yeah. Oklahoma softball wants to do that. So you were uh, 
you were on top of the volleyball story before that. In fact, I think it was the morning of. What is going on in Lincoln, Nebraska tonight? And why is it so significant? The Nebraska Cornhuskers quite possibly could set a record. They're going to their football stadium. They are putting a stage on the football field and they're playing a volleyball match. They're playing the University of Nebraska at Omaha tonight at Memorial Stadium and more than 91,000 fans are expected. It would also break, I believe, a stadium record for the football team. Liz, Cornhuskers football has a long and storied tradition. Memorial Stadium is the home of Nebraska football, the field that legendary coach Tom Osborne built. And you're telling me that the most attended event there could be a volleyball game. So I'm guessing most people across the U.S. listening right now probably have no idea this is happening. And when they find out, they're going to say, really? Volleyball? So what would you say to those people? Volleyball in Nebraska is a huge deal. It's such a big deal that Nebraska canceled classes for the day. And they even gave the okay to sell beer at the event. And they don't even sell beer at football games, which would probably generate a ton of money. You were on ESPN Daily podcast talking about it. You had written about it. What's the process of that, of doing the ESPN Daily? And how do you, you you all work that out when you're a reporter and you're doing it after you've written it, but you have all of your stuff assembled and, and, you know, a half an hour podcast probably takes a few hours to produce. But so tell, tell us a little bit how that works out. Well, I would say that we have the best podcast staff like ever. I, you know, I, for a long time, I'm not a real front facing person. I was kind of of that whole school that like, we're not the story. We just chronicle the story. We tell the stories, but I would have to say that uh, dipping my toes into that, they make it so easy and they do such great work. They make us look really great. So what will happen is if there's a story they want to feature on the daily podcast, um, they'll see, they'll, they'll look at the draft. So they kind of know what the story is going to be about before it runs. And then there's just sort of this open dialogue about, uh, about like whatever we're covering. Um, and I would hope that there's a lot of different, that it, that doing that is that it attracts people to the story where they can read so much more about what we're talking about. But I also think it, uh, it can give you a condensed version of it. If like you're in your car or something, you don't have time. Like that volleyball story, I think it was like 5,000 words. So if you don't have time to do that, you can just like, you know, if you're in your car or something, you can listen to that. So I, I they do a fantastic job. Um, I can't stress that enough that like they make things so much easier for me. And uh, I think yeah. it's just a you know podcasting and it's done well is just a really good way to do journalism, to do sports journalism, any kind of journalism. Um, if it's, of course, thoughtful and 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 maintains the ethics and the standards. But I think it's a really good way for for the one thing you mentioned, you're in your car, you can listen to it. It's condensed. But in a number of other ways, people like to hear voices of the of the characters. You know, you as a writer are trying to 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 make that voice as you're putting it in those 5000 words. But you can hear them and you put in a little music and there's a little drama and there's a little 
um, production value. And I, I just think it's a fabulous way to tell stories. I really do. Yeah, they're great. And they do that so well. They always pick the right music, the right spots. And uh, yeah, it's so easy to do. And it's it's fun. It's like, I know I keep saying things are fun. Well, you I'm should sure have fun, some... right? Aren't you supposed to I'm have sure fun? There's... Yeah, I'm sure there's some things in my job that are not fun. And I can think of that, some of them right now. But I won't say, I won't argue. No, but so much of what we do is fun. I mean, we just, it's like you probably say the same thing about your job, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. And, you know, I I did that thing for a long time and now I'm doing this thing and it's it's great. I enjoy it um, almost every day, um, every day. Yeah. I enjoy it every day. Now, one of the characters you introduced us to, I guess it's been in the last year or so, was the bank robbing Kansas City Chiefs fan. Um, yeah. What's the update on that? He is at Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. Um, he has a new lawyer who I've spoken to recently. Um, we will have an eventual, we will have another follow-up on a different medium at some point, which you'll get a heads up on, but uh i don't think i'm i don't even know what the timing is so i couldn't tell you anyway but um yeah it's it's a really unbelievable story of what allegedly happened right we got to throw that allegedly out there very mm -hmm. um all the time but like uh yeah it's a it's been a fascinating story and um i've been working on it with uh dave purdom who's our gambling writer who is amazing and and we you know as this thing went on we kept hearing well maybe there's more to this um were there possible other bank robberies alleged bank robberies and and when that affidavit hit it's like whoa you know there was quite a bit but allegedly again um so we'll see what happens i i uh it's it's ongoing um I don't know. Ask, ask me a question about it. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I mean, he's, um, I don't even remember his name. I should have written a note down for myself. Babinar, yeah. 29 years old. And he was a super chiefs fan and mm -hmm. ended up being arrested. Um, not long Correct. after a game or something, a few days after a game or something. And, uh, and turned out to be a, an alleged charged with oh. robbing banks, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> So he's a prolific tweeter, really prolific on social media, had a lot of followers, engaged with the fans, um, known as Chiefsaholic, just this rabid Kansas City Chiefs fan, um, dressed up in a wolf suit uh, at games and would like, you know, take mug for photos with kids at tailgates. And um, he would kind of chronicle, he would drive everywhere to football games, like he would drive to Arizona. He'd just get in his car and drive and he would chronicle his trips as he went like, Hey, I'm going to be in this section and whatever. And then uh, in December of last year, the chiefs played the Texans and people are like, where is he? You know, no, he hasn't tweeted. People were worried about him, but like nobody knew his name because he just went by chiefs aholic. Um, and uh, then they discovered, you know, days later that he was sitting in a Bixby, Oklahoma jail uh, for allegedly robbing a bank on his way to uh, the Texans game. 
So Liz, um, I, I don't want you to, you don't have to Close give away, yeah, there you go. You don't have to give away your, um, all of the information, but how do you wander upon a story like that? How does that, how does that happen? Not many stories fall in your lap. How does, how do you get a hold of a story like that? Well, I would say like, so it wasn't my story from the start. I had heard about it. I was working on something else and, um, but they knew like I that I used to live in Kansas City. I used to cover the team. So Dave was working on it, an investigative group. And Dave's a gambling writer. So, I mean, that's something, too, that like so sometimes we'll get pulled in different directions. So he was working on it and knew that I had some knowledge about just the the team and proximity wise. I'm like super close to Kansas City. And so. That he they enlisted my help and uh, what a story! I mean, it was one of those stories that still is where you do more and more reporting. You go through like bankruptcy records, you go through you know police records, you talk to people, and you're just eager to know the next thing. You know what I mean? Like you're just like and, and you're surprised so often. It's like you know when you peel this another this other layer back. Shortly after the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl back in February, ESPN Daily told the story of Xavier Babadar, a Chiefs super fan, often clad in a wolf costume, who goes by the name of Chiefsaholic. Babadar seemed to be able to afford a lifestyle that no one could quite explain. That is, until December of 2022, when he was arrested on suspicion of robbing a bank in Bixby, Oklahoma. But so much has happened since we aired that episode that we are once again joined by one of the ESPN reporters who's been following this. Liz Merrill was on that original episode. She's been reporting this story with our colleague David Purdom. So, Liz, now, a few months later, what else has happened when we talk about Xavier Babadar? Well, when we last spoke of Xavier Babadar, his bail was reduced from 200,000 to 80,000 under much protest from the Tulsa County District Attorney's office. They thought he was a flight risk, but he was able to post the bond and was waiting for his next court hearing. In late March, on a Saturday night, the suspected flight risk cut off his ankle monitor, threw it in the woods, and skipped town. He was a fugitive from justice and was pursued by authorities in multiple states. But last Friday, he was finally arrested in Sacramento. And when he was, once again, we would learn that this was only the tip of the iceberg. Since his arrest Friday, the man known to fans as Chief Zaholic is now charged with bank robbery and money laundering. Prosecutors say he traveled throughout the Midwest, targeting banks in Oklahoma, Nebraska, Iowa, Tennessee, and Minnesota. He's accused of laundering the money through casinos, redeeming more than $1 million in chips. It all came to an end Friday when Xavier was arrested in California. He'll have his day in court uh, and, you know, um, he's in a, let's just say from what we've gathered, being in a federal prison is quite different than being in a prison in Oklahoma. 
or being in jail in Oklahoma. Uh, it's so I think it's 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 uh, he's facing some very serious charges and, and, you know, he'll be he'll have his day in court and we'll see what happens. Uh, he won't go to court until next year. Yeah. And you've talked with him. Well, I emailed him when he was uh, in jail in Oklahoma is what it was. Mm -hmm. But no, I have not actually been able to talk to him and you can't bring cameras or any recording devices into federal prison. So, so no. So I've, you have to I've have a perfect memory if you talk to somebody in federal prison, I guess, huh? Yeah, I haven't been able to master that yet, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I went to like his bond hearing and it's all, it's super, I mean, it's amazing how many things you can have access when you have, you know, when you're given the time to, uh, to really focus on a story. Like I went to his bond hearing and heard so many things about how, uh, just about like the, what happened that day? He was arrested by six officers. I think it was fire. I think it was six, including the chief of police in Bixby. So when you think about this, Bixby is not a huge town. He is accused of robbing like these banks and all these different places. And the the police in Bixby, Oklahoma, are the ones who brought him down. Alleged, I mean, allegedly brought him down. But yeah, it's like. It's a fascinating story and the people involved in it are fascinating. Uh, but like just even the bond hearing, there was some stuff that was talked about about how um, the stuff that was in his car and how there were some bank receipts for like these huge amounts of money. And um, it's all it's a really interesting story wow. for sure. So if you had to choose and it might be like asking somebody, you know, who's your favorite child. But if you had to choose the kind of story you'd like to do, if you could only do one kind of story, um, and I don't mean the nature and I don't mean specifics like that, but the same kind of story, a feature, investigative, uh, whatever it is, um, what would it be? There's no way I could choose. No? That's what's so great about this job no. is like you don't really know. I won't know what I'm doing in two months. You know what I mean? I hope I'm going to be done with some of the things I'm working on now, but that's the that's the beauty of it. I just remember, especially my last year covering the Chiefs, being in the locker room, and it was like November, December, and you're like, you know, you're just going up to the same guy. Not that it's I, I, that's fun too, but I'm just saying I love just the variety and that you don't know what you might be working on in a few weeks, and that you know sort of the the whole sports it, the world is your canvas right you can do kind of whatever like whatever your bosses find interesting or whatever you pitch and uh I don't think I could pick like I I would say that this story has intrigued me for you know a, a good part of the year but there might be something tomorrow that I get a sign that I, I really want to do. I could never box myself into that. I would just say, I mean, I, I don't think I would want to be a person. I'll say one thing I probably wouldn't want to do. I probably wouldn't want to be a person who wrote game stories every day, just because I don't think people read those anymore. I just think we, with technology, we, we look at things way differently. And, and, and in some ways that's a good thing. You, you can get the score obviously anywhere with your phone, but we just have to keep challenging ourselves to to like tell the stories that draw people in and tell the other stories from yeah. from sporting yeah. events or 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 whatever happens outside uh, off the field. So is it a combination of you getting assigned stories or and pitching stories? Is it a little bit of both? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I would often say that my editors have better ideas than I do, though. 
So I, I don't know. I would say that like a lot of them are somebody saying, Hey, uh, you want to do this? But uh, you know, one of my old editors, uh, Jay Lovinger used to say, the best stories you're going to do are the ones that you pitch because you're invested in it and you're, 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 you have this curiosity about it, which I totally believe that, but I will also say, so yeah, but I will also say that a lot of the best stories that I've ever done have not been my story ideas and that's okay. You know, I mean, that's one thing when I started, like my job was like, they called it a SWAT reporter. So if anything happened, like usually something when something bad happened, I would do like a few day turnaround story on it. And um, being ready for anything is always good. But that was kind of my job. It's just to do what an editor told me to, like whatever they thought was interesting, I guess. A few so. years ago, you did a story about um, a, a nun uh, who was a basketball player, a basketball yeah. star. I think her sure. name is Shelly Pennefeather. Is that, is that right? Pennefather. Pennefather, yeah. And yeah. um, if I recall, it's um, basically she can talk like with people once a year or something like that. She meets her family once a year or once yeah. every few years. Uh, how did you wonder upon that story and how did it impact you? Not my story idea. Um, say right off the out of the gate. It but was, you finished uh, it well. They might have handed you the <laughs> ball, but you did a great job with it. That's a great example how of how, like, I know some people are like, I want to do this story, but it's a really good example of how sometimes the best story ideas don't come from you, you know, and, um, and to be open-minded. But, um, so there was a producer, uh, who's worked with us before who was pitching it and, and knew the coach really well. Um, Harry, uh, Coretta, Coretta. I think. Um, and uh, um, so he was like, he came to us and he said, hey, the 25 year anniversary is coming up. Uh, but so this is the detail. So she was like this, one of the greatest basketball, college basketball players, women's, women's basketball players of that time. It's like the late 80s. And um, she went overseas to play and was commanding like, I don't know, 200, $250,000 a year to that's how, you know, to play overseas, which back in like 1990, that's kind of a King's ransom. Right. So, um, still is, uh, but, um, so she was, but her family was very spiritual Catholic, um, and she received this calling one day to become a cloistered nun. And what that involved is, so you don't have communication with the outside world. Like when 9-11 happened, she didn't know about it right away. I don't think she knew about it until maybe somebody told her, but like you get a visit once, one time a year and it's with your family, but you can't hug each other or anything. On the 20, every 25 years, so on the 25th anniversary of when she did these vows, she was able to hug her family. And so we knew about that in advance that that was happening. We didn't think we'd get any access. I remember when we were talking in the planning meetings, we didn't think we were going to get anything. You know, the initial thing was there, we could hopefully get a photographer inside this chapel, the small chapel, to take a photo of her hugging her mom. But what we did the day before, since Rich knew um, the coach, 
Villanova, by the way, um, the Villanova coach, we hung out. So there is one provision that she was able to get. Her coach, her old basketball coach gets to visit her once a year too. And it's like, it's like the screened in window. It's like going to confession if you're Catholic basically, but kind of bigger or whatever, different. And, uh, and so uh, what we did, he came the day before to see her so for his annual visit and so we hung out that day around him and we're sort of part of the backdrop kind of angling our way to get into getting more and more access so next thing i know i'm you know i'm like talking to the coach and i'm kind of looking around like from the outside on that saturday and the next thing you know i'm in the chapel the next day on my tippy toes in the way back trying to hide my notebook to write a few notes because it's kind of disrespectful to kind of be you know but they and they got their cameras in there i i mean so it's just like sometimes when you're just Sometimes you can sort of broker, not that there was anything exchanged, but I, I guess that's the wrong word, but sometimes by just being there and being persistent, you can work your way into better access. So one, and I went to like, they had like a reunion of their, her former players, her former, some of her former player teammates were devastated when she made this decision because they knew they wouldn't see her anymore. So the only way that they can communicate with her is by snail mail. You send her a letter and she replies, but, um, they, I went to, a it was a reunion of the basketball team the night before, and it was like very, very cool people. I was just like taken aback at how nice and just thoughtful these guys were, but um, they actually were able to meet her in a room, like not touching her though, but they, some of those, some of them were there. Well, anyway, the night before they were telling me she had this boyfriend, but they didn't know he was. And I talked to some other people and they wouldn't tell me who the boyfriend was, but she, this guy wanted to have kids with her, I guess. And I was like, I got to find this guy, but like, nobody remembered who he was. So it was like raining that day. And, um, I was like standing outside, but you know, uh, I went under an awning, um, and just kind of hanging around. And I heard this priest talking, kind of joking around with some people. And I just started some idle chit chat with him and he's the boyfriend he became a priest like uh and so huh he's i remember he i i said well can i interview can i turn on my recorder and talk to you and he's like i've never talked to anyone about this but you know you start talking to people and sometimes you gain people's trust and we he told me all the stuff i probably called him five times the other thing i should mention about the story is this was kind of a faster turn it's not like i had like six months to do this because it was there was a ceremony and there was a window in which we wanted to get it in but anyway um i probably called him five times after that between then and when the story ran and i've talked to him a few times since because i wanted to get i'm catholic but i wanted to get i couldn't grasp how someone could drop everything and leave their life their family their friends so she's in this place she's in this uh convent type place and she for 23 hours of a day they're in there she sleeps on a straw bed and i think if i can remember I maybe sleeps four hours a night prays 
has a lot of intentions she prays for. And then um, they can go outside in the courtyard like for an hour a day, but they don't talk to each other during the day. She was like, from what I heard, like this vibrant, outgoing person. And you think about all the things she could have done. She could have been a great teacher. She could have made a lot of money playing basketball. And I just couldn't grasp that, even though I was Catholic and practicing Catholic. Am. And so I would talk to this guy about what is, I don't understand what, what, how, you know, and since he was a priest, he could kind of take me through it. And I think that really helped the story out. Probably way more than you wanted to hear about that story. No, no. I love that story. We've talked about it before, but I, I love that story. And when you're, when you, you want to, you want awards for the work, it's really good. And but you. when, when you're doing a story like that, you know, it's pretty special. I mean, this, these are the kind of things that don't, fall in your lap very often right so how how are you approaching is like when i've had been lucky enough to do stuff like that it's like man don't screw it up that's exactly what you think don't screw it up yeah get, and so get out of the way of the story is basically what you have to do it's like it tell like i kept saying the story should tell itself but it really didn't it was really hard to write but mm -hmm. i would say that that's you just have to keep remembering don't try to like overwrite just talk to do as much reporting as you can and do the story justice. And that's what I tried to do. And and definitely, definitely needed a lot of help with editors, which I'm super lucky to have, like people who are smarter than me and can kind of guide you sometimes. And, uh, you know, I mean, that guy, Jay Lovinger, that I, I talked about before, he didn't work at ESPN anymore. And I hadn't talked to him in a while because his health was kind of failing. And, uh, we called him because I just had this one thing. It was like, that was the whole thing. How do you relate to this? Are people going to read past the first couple of sentences? And I talked to him and he's like, well, I think you need to write the, um, the, the overview uh, section in first person. And I don't normally do that. And that was his suggestion. And it definitely worked. And, you know, he, uh, and then we started talking more after he died, like three months after that. And I almost think it's just so, uh, it was cool that we were able to work on that last story together because I always felt like it was kind of like unfinished sort of. He was definitely someone I was was a mentor to me. So, yeah, the story has a lot of meaning for me for a lot of different reasons, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you you just hope that every once in a while you get lucky enough to meet these people. And if yeah. you can do it regularly, that's great. Right. I mean, what you want to do is just do interesting stuff every single day and that. That means it's meeting interesting people every day or week sure. or whatever, right? Yeah. And, you know, people, there's some reporters who like always, you're thinking, wow, they're really lucky that they got this assignment or that they found this assignment or that they pulled this off. But people make their own luck. You know, I'm sure there is some luck involved in things, but like, you're not just consistently lucky. I'm not, I'm not referring to myself, by the way. I'm just saying people that we think of like that are really really good you kind of make your own luck and it's just like and sometimes it's just you know as easy as where i'm never going to get anything off of this person or this sounds like a crazy idea to pursue this and it's it's not going to take me anywhere and then it does you know and sometimes if you, especially if you're you feel like you're uh stuck in quicksand on a story all it takes is sometimes one door to open and uh, a bunch of, of others do you know i did a we were trying to do a parkland story uh for the after the school shooting in 18 2018 um that claimed the lives of um 17 people and injured another 17 and um uh 
I remember nobody wanted to talk and rightfully so. And you, there's a delicate balance there about how you want to approach this. You, you don't want to make, I, my big thing is I never want to make anything worse for anyone. Uh, and so you, a lot of times I'll have a go-between person. Hey, can will this person ever, is this person anywhere near close to talking? And I just, we wanted to do it because it really deeply affected the athletic department at Parkland at Stoneman Douglas. And um, so I eventually sort of started talking to the girls basketball coach who, you know, had had a couple of interviews with her who uh, eventually was able to let, uh, you know, the wife of the athletic director who was killed said that, hey, you know, uh, she, she's someone I think that, you know, you can trust. And then, which also I talked to, um, you know, there was this, uh, there was just, it was sort of this cascading effect. It's like sometimes you just need one person to trust you to sort of open the doors for others. Chris Dixon is the athletic director, by the way. I don't want to, I definitely don't want to um, leave his name out because he did some heroic things that day. I think all great writers are great readers. If if you could only read one or two people's work, um, and and you know who would be the one or two writers that that you would gravitate to um, immediately? Well, Eli Saslow is amazing. I don't know if you read his um, piece on the business owners in uh, Phoenix who are trying to keep their business open. Uh, in the middle of downtown where there was a lot of issues with uh like unhoused people and kind of some mm -hmm. trouble uh with the law that came with that uh with some of the people in desperation and stuff i thought that i eli saslow is pretty much a must read um you know i tom Janot is obviously someone that everybody wants to read right i mean he you know he could write about the phone book and you'd want to read it probably not that there's any phone books anymore that's what we used to always say <laughs> that's right we did to, i was trying to think of somebody that like non-traditional you know what i mean because like you say you definitely say janote and you're like well of course i mean obviously when i, I used to always read gary smith but you know uh, i think dave fleming is really good uh he works he used to write for the magazine but like sometimes when i'm stuck uh, and I can't write a lead or something. I'll just read some stuff that like some other people that are really good. And just, and sometimes it inspires me and Dave's one of those people. Uh, I know I'm missing, I'm missing somebody obvious and I, and I'm going to be really upset with myself, but there's so many good writers. I mean, so many people that you think, wow, I wish I did that. Or I wish I wrote something like that. Um, and a lot, it's really, I work with a lot of them, you know, it's like uh, Ray Thompson, obviously. You don't really need to say anything else because he's he's part of that list. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty um, sometimes intimidating how good <laughs> what, how many people how much good writing is out there. When you don't read uh, sports, what do you read? Uh, um, you mean like um, books or yeah, books, uh, I, magazines, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I read the times in the post all the time. Uh, I read, I read a decent bit about politics, although I'm not political at all, just because I find it fascinating this time, uh, that we are in right now. Um, 
Gene Weingarten, I, I from the Post. I, he's an amazing writer. I don't. I think he retired. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I read a lot of like. I mean, I, I was telling one of my colleagues, his son just got hired at People Magazine, and I was just all fangirl about that because I remember I just thought it would be so cool to write for People Magazine, and um, so I read that too. I still read stuff like that. I think that yeah. stuff's really interesting. Well, of course you read people. You you went and did a job interview with the Fargo Forum as an entertainment <laughs> writer. So there you go. Yeah. Well, that was just looking <laughs> for a job. Yeah. I probably was a lot hipper back then, though, and I knew a lot of the music and everything. Can you imagine me applying for that now? Ugh. I don't know. I would I, never they certainly out. wouldn't hire me to do anything like that. I'll tell you that. Yeah, so. you have to be cool. You have to be really cool. To, like, I remember one of the job, the the questions for the interview, and again, I'm going on like an, a half hour of sleep that, that day, was if you're on death row and you had one last meal, what would you, you get your one last meal, what would it be? I'm like, I'm just thinking they're going to ask stuff like, hey, how would you approach this story or... What are, you know, ethically, if you had A, B, or C happen to you, but it's like, yeah, what would be your last meal? And believe me, I love food, but I just completely blanked. And this guy, I remember them telling me one of the guys had this elaborate, like, down to the condiments and everything. And yeah, but um, it, all, it all worked out. Yeah, no, it's, it's it seems to have worked out. So, hey, Liz, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Um, I enjoy yeah. chatting with you. It's, it's fun sure. to talk about this and the business and what you're doing. And so, um, and, but you can't tell us right now what exciting story you're working on. I mean, there's a couple of, them. I don't know. I mean, I would just say we are doing some more reporting on the chief Saholic story. I mean, that's obvious. I mm -hmm. don't know. I mean, I, I, we, I always feel weird about doing that just because like, I, I don't know. I'm being even cagey on, I, I just, that's just our, you know, that's our it's thing. Okay. We don't it's like okay. This. No. Okay. We're I'm doing something maybe in the basketball realm and I'm doing something in the football realm. I just, you know, the thing also that happens sometimes uh, like an assignment that you get might get blown to bits because of whatever reason. And I'm kind of in the process of that right now where I might be doing something and I might not be doing yeah. something. So I, I want, I don't want to say, Oh, then you're, it never pans out, but yeah, there's, there's like an investigative piece I've been working on that I'm hoping to finally finish some of the stuff that like, we can work on stuff sometimes like for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a, just a, this and that, I would you, say this and that. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? Uh, and, and again, I know we got to run here is that, um, uh, you know, David Grant wrote the story about the killers of the flower moon and, and he wrote um, years ago in New Yorker about um, the old man and the gun, and it turned into a movie. And the yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon is a movie. As I'm reading about the Chiefs, uh, um, uh, a holic guy, I'm thinking, God, maybe these guys will be lucky enough to get like a movie deal out of this crazy story. So, well, I will tell you this: there are a lot of entities that approached us and i can also tell you that there are a lot of entities that are currently working on this uh, i mean this is like like I've, i had i've had people from like other countries reach out and uh we like to keep our stuff in house um but like i don't know i can uh, the only thing i know is there like i know that there are like several entities that you would know of that are probably also working on this thing too. It is just because it is such a different story for sure.
Liz Merrill, senior writer for ESPN. She's working on that Chiefsaholic story and, as you heard, some other stuff as well. We'd like to thank Liz for spending so much time with us. You can find her work at ESPN.com and other places, including ESPN Daily Podcast. And we'd like to thank them for letting us use some of their work to help us show the kinds of contributions Liz makes to the business. Our show, Watch the Media, is aired Sunday mornings at 10 on KRNU Radio, the campus station at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And you can hear us in podcast form at Apple, Spotify, and your other favorite podcast spaces. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm John Schrader.